0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Cheeky Natives. Um, I have a very special guest here today. I know I say this with every single podcast, but all of our guests are very, very special. That's why they're on the Cheeky Natives. But we have the esteemed Ntikeng Mulelem, who is on today's podcast, which we're recording live at the Bridge Books on Commissioner Street. So I just wanted to read Ntikeng's, um Bio, And you'll hear why a little bit later So his bio says that he was partly raised in Limpopo and Timbisa And attended the University of the Witwatersrand Where he obtained a BA in Dramatic Arts, Publishing Studies and African Literature He is the author of four critically acclaimed novels The Sense of Bliss, Small Things, Rusty Bell, Pleasure and now Michael Kay Pleasure won the 2016 University of Johannesburg Main Prize For South African Writing in English as well as the 2017 K. Silodeika Memorial Prize at the South African Literary Awards. It has also been long-listed for the International Dublin Literary Award. Michael K. is Muklele's fifth novel. And with an introduction like that, we can only be so grateful to have you on The Cheeky Natives. Welcome once again, Ninti King. Thank you. So, I'm always very curious as to how would describe themselves, like there's a bio that exists and I think at the back of every book the blurb exists and it's told about who you are, but how would you describe who Nsike is? I'm
1: just a bloke,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, to, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm a human being, I'm a South African, I guess I'm a black man of middle age, <laughs> uh, who is fascinated about the arts in their totality. And I'm a husband, father, and a brother and a son to my mother. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Um. So, Antiging, I when I was reading this book, uh, which is Michael K, you spoke in a lot of interviews about some literary influences that you've had, um, and I'm I'm quite curious as to who your literary influences are. Before we get into into the actual book, uh, who would you list as your literary influences? And I ask this particularly in light of the uh, forward that was written to you by Zeytunda, which is amazing. Um, so who would you list as your literary influences? I
1: would list all this esteemed uh, panel here. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Obviously, I would think, or maybe not so, just, uh, and it needs to be stated, mm-hmm. I am influenced by my contemporaries mm. because they are colleagues. Um, so. It would be o and uh, it would be Nick, um, from, uh, it would be Zooks, you know. Um, from that point of view, mm-hmm. uh, it would be Sue. Um, people that I work with, we dealing with almost um, the same social context in, in real time. Um, it is very, very important for me to be able to engage, uh, either in conversation or through artworks with my, what I would call my contemporaries. Um, I think the list is very long to list, um, you know, uh, in singular form, Mm -hmm. but it's the African literature canon. So that is important for context and for uh, identity an expression of self and self-realization. Because you know it's not a fluke that all these important books were written on the continent. So that is important, primarily. Before I go to your Philip Roths and your James Baldwin's, mm-hmm. your Alex Haley's, your Dambuco, Um Javier Marie, for instance, JMC himself, and I know that there are issues around there, uh, which, um, you know, it's okay. <laughs> 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 um, uh, wale Shoyinka, mm-hmm. um, and, and and Tony Morrison, mm-hmm. Alice Walker, those kinds of, 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 of writers. And um, Saul Bello, uh, Albert Camus, mm-hmm. those kinds of of, 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 of of writers.
0: Is there a book or books that you think have particularly shaped the way that you write? Is there a book that you sit back and you read and you think, I wish I had written that book? Uh,
1: not necessarily books, coins. Uh, uh, strangely, it's music. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that reference would be kind of blue. The Miles Davis book okay. uh, uh, kind of blue. Because I think of literature mm-hmm. not in an exclusive Manner. I think of literature as as part of artistic disciplines. Mm-hmm. So they are not mutually exclusive to me. Right. So film, uh, theatre. I always say that uh, music um, and books mm-hmm. for me, um, including performance poetry and whatever. I see them as part of a mm-hmm. cyclical mm-hmm. continuum. Right, so it would be kind of blue because it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful album and if I were to bring it closer to home it would be Sintiwetana, it would be Mamsho, Bussumshon it would be uh, King Mm Kintar's music um, because it's important for context and for Mm self-actualization, if I were to call it that It's okay to admire everything else outside of the immediate context but I think you need to be rooted to be able to appreciate um, other things elsewhere in the world.
0: Uh, So the tagline for Avandu Book Fest is reimagining ourselves into into existence. And you've spoken a lot about self-actualization and the need for context. Why, why do you think that self-actualization is, so the question really would be, what do you think is the role of the black writer in South Africa in the reimagining of ourselves into new existence?
1: Um, I've got a contradictory answer for you. Okay. I don't think we should harp too much on black writer. Mm. It should be writer, period, first. Mm-hmm. Human being first, mm. period. Black comes in because of systematic Mm -hmm. exclusions that have happened over time, cultural um, exploitation, Mm -hmm. and exploitation on every single level on the black body. So the stance has been able, that of um, reclaiming Mm -hmm. that and reprojecting that which is positive within black artistic practice and black life, Mm -hmm. uh, for for, for that matter. And not everything that is black, from where I sit, uh, is reducible to art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that black people here and in the diaspora should continue um, thinking about this imposed otherness Mm -hmm. on, on, on blackness. For me, I just find it extremely irritating. Uh, from where I am sitting. Part of what we see, uh, we had a whole uh, movement of literature that was anti-colonial literature. Then we had the post-colonial Africa and elsewhere, including in the diaspora, that formed a whole identity of literary or artistic output based on a defense of self Mm. and preservation of self and um, a correction of uh, a myriad of prejudices that uh, were aimed at undermining um, blackness. And when I say blackness, it's black innovation, black thought, black creative output, uh, black cultures, as well as uh, black identities. Mm -hmm.
0: I think that's such an interesting point to make about about the the field of black literature as a whole, right? Uh, Toni Morrison often talks about this how she feels that that the works of black writers have been treated as an anthropological study. They're not treated as critical work. That is that is literature. That is art. You know, they treated as this anthropological study, and it's there's a gaze that exists at which we look. At, at the works of people who happen to be black but who are also writers. I mean, often if you think about it, we'd never ever say a white writer, you know? By, by virtue of existence, oh, you assume that, you, that, you're, that you're a writer, you know, it's like a female rapper.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I, you studied a BA and you did dramatic arts, you did publishing studies, and you also did um, African literature. Have you always
1: known that you're going to be a writer? Yes, I've always known that. Um, even though I didn't know the how of it, mm. or how long it would actually take. But I've always known that I'm going to be a writer. First, with um, when I read Things Fall Apart, mm. it made a very deep impression on me, how that book was written. And the last line, the pacification of the primitive tribes mm. of the Lower Niger. It took me a while to understand mm-hmm. it. Um, but when I did, I just caught on. And I was taught by very intelligent people. You couldn't make a half-baked um, argument. Mm-hmm. They would stretch you to breaking point in terms of what proper reading is, mm-hmm. what proper reflection is, what problematizing um, interlinked and mm-hmm. divergent um, philosophical, cultural, anthropological, social tropes Mm -hmm. entailed, and that was very empowering.
0: I'm I'm very curious as to what was your family's reaction to you having wanted to be a writer. Often we, I think especially for Africans, there's a, and I always find this funny because I I have the career that's one of the African family careers, Um, but you know African families often think of you having a proper job when you are a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, or an engineer and and i found that often we don't we don't have a respect for the arts as being a career what what was your family's reaction to the the idea that you wanted to be a writer
1: i come from a family of mainly um, illiterate people Mm -hmm. let me put it that way Uh, but very supportive people they are illiterate in the academic sense of what an education is Mm -hmm. But when you look at life, wisdom around life, and being in existence, I would put my family right there at the very top. So um, they embraced the fact that I wanted to write. I had a job then and I still do now. So um, the support has been very consistent and they've embraced what I do. And they get very happy every time that a book comes out or a poster is in town or uh, there's coverage in the press. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a moment of great pride to them. My mother doesn't read, but I read my books to her. Mm-hmm. Right? I skip all the weird parts <laughs> uh, diplomatically, um, not because of any sense of deception, mm-hmm. but because I was raised in a culture where you have to be decent around your parents. That is a given, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You have to respect the, 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 how do I put it, the fundamentals. So there are lines that one does not cross. And the fact that one went to vote and you have the privilege of being a writer not really, does not mean you forget who you are uh, as a person. And I'll still get the same message to her, but I must be very diplomatic in how I do that
0: So, earlier on, um, I asked you, I mean, this is your fifth book that you've published, which is an amazing feat, considering the publishing industry that we have and and all of the connotations that sort of exist around buying of certain writers' books, and Um, and I asked you earlier if there was a, a moment in which you felt that you had become a writer. And, and just for the benefits of everybody who's listening to this, because I thought that that was such a poignant response that you gave um, i'd just like you to to repeat that
1: um, I am a very total person mm. right? If I dropped dead in the next sixteen seconds,
2: mm.
1: I would have no regrets. I live my life discreetly mm. but very fully, but to answer you more, more directly i don't look at literature as this is the body of work of what I've created. Yay! I'm not that kind of person. Each project is very, very, very important to me. And I treat it as a complete universe in and of itself. The fact that there are other books uh, that are written by me, it's purely progression. But each world of each book that I create is very um, unique to me from an experience point of view. So, a more short and direct answer is, um, I've always felt that I'm a writer with everything that I've created. Even with an SMS, for that matter. I think I place the same Weight of being and presence and consciousness, even in a whatsapp that I send to something, because i don 't see why it should be different, obviously, and um, in a book, it would be a much more heightened and conscious thing, but i don 't think one should just say now i 'm serious i 'm writing a book uh, mm-hmm. and because and being an artist and a writer is not a freak accident, it's a state of being for mm-hmm.
0: me. Yeah. You've described yourself as almost obsessive, you know, in, in the way in which you go about in writing your books.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What is what does that entail? So, so re- So really, the question is, when you are set, settling down to write a book that you describe as this total process, what what does it involve for you?
1: Um, it involves forethought. Mm-hmm. It involves passion. It involves a quest for self-betterment. Mm-hmm. It involves. Uh, heightened consciousness about the world around me. Um, may I have said obsessive, yes. Maybe I have not broken it down. Mm. Um, obsessive people would look at some fanatical application of energy at a level of intensity, and that's not what I mean. I'm saying obsessive because it is a great responsibility, creating art, and it's a great privilege, uh, creating art. It's not something that you just put out there because uh, you can. I'm saying obsessive from a point of view of necessary care that needs to be put in place uh, so that I don't embarrass my peers wherever I am they say that one says he's a writer mm, mm. oh you should have just been a chef or something you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you
1: want to be counted with us mm, and there's mm. a lot of competent writers in this country and you see I don't have to tell you, you
0: they're in our audience so you or not, right? she, she was She was, lo-
1: uh, uh, she was l- uh, long listed with me by the way she's on the short list now and I'm rooting for to kick some <laughs> butt and As an what's aside. As an aside, I'm I'm yeah. not one for
0: name dropping or anything, but yeah. I do want to to let you know that the she that Tsegeng is referring to is Yawande Omotoso, mm-hmm. who is in the audience today. So if you don't come today, you've missed out. You're in the presence of a lot mm-hmm. of greatness, and I just want to remind everybody who didn't come that they have missed out on being just in the audience of, like you you're saying, great contemporaries around you. Mm-hmm. Earlier on this year, we had Shalja Patel on the show, and uh, we were talking about about literature as a, as a form of activism, you know, and how there's been a great criticism of, of arts, and of literature, and I guess arts as a totality, that uh, art will not solve the world's problems. So yes, it's great that people are putting out work, and it's wonderful that people are writing books, and and releasing music but art will not solve the world's problems. You know, STEM is going to do that, and, and, and. What is your counter as a, as a writer to, to the concept that, that literature, as great and as wonderful as it is, that art will not, in any meaningful way, change the condition of the world?
1: I strongly disagree with that stance, mm-hmm. um, because if, art were not that important, Mm. and not changing anything, there would be no bookshops, there would Mm. be no museums, Mm. there would be no cinemas, there would be no Shakespeare. Mm. Mm. There would be no poets, there would not have been a renaissance. Mm. There would not be African sculpture, I always say. There would not be African music, Mm. classified as world music, I don't know what that is. Um, So it is a partially, at a very granular and meagre level, a possible sentiment that art would not solve some problems directly. But art is very important in enriching lives of people, of cultures, of societies, of history and of heritage, because if you don't have those themes that I'm speaking to now, then it's a very empty human life. So um, there is spiritual importance that uh, art brings to societies. There's a social consciousness that art brings to things. And there is uh, cerebral engagement in terms of problems that solve society, uh, that plague societies, and not only from a point of looking at art in what is it able to solve. We must also look at what art contributes to societies, and it contributes beauty. That is an important thing, to have beauty in society. It, 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 it promotes, um, how can I put it, over and above beauty. Uh, a reflection on those societies to be able to, to, to look at it themselves. One cannot say that a film like Amistad, for instance, or Roots, or Schindler's List, for instance, or even the really terribly made um, Cry Freedom, because of just the weighting of the story. Donald Woods versus the supposed main character to be good in the thing, that those are not important and that they don't solve. I think it's a lazy statement mm. and it's, it's mm. reckless, uh, maybe not intended, but I think it demands far greater thought than it's being afforded. Mm. Okay.
0: So, your first novel was published in 2008, which is ten years ago. Mm. Um, <laughs> how do you think that the, the publishing industry has changed? Um, in the ten years that you've experienced since your first since your first novel to now, and I guess the greater question is, there's been a massive conversation that's been had about how. Um, Firstly, there's, there's an idea that black readers don't buy books or black people don't read. Um, but also secondly, that, that uh, a lot of people have felt that the publishing industry continues to, in many, in many respects, um, make it difficult for black writers to be published for, for arts that's written by black people to, to receive them the sort of attention that it deserves. Uh, and how do you, how do you, how do you respond to, to those kind of questions?
1: Um... It's a mouthful. There are difficult questions to deal with. Mm-hmm. But we must not confuse a plethora of complementary and divergent mm-hmm. themes to be wholesome.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause in your questions, there are commercial considerations. Mm-hmm. Publishers are in business. That's mm-hmm. what we must think about. There are policy issues in terms of your arts and culture department, Mm -hmm. which I believe humbly that a lot needs to be done in terms of promotion and support of the arts and innovation in uh, policy instruments that enable artists to be able to enter the publishing mainstream, Uh, for instance. uh, Blacks People don't buy books, that is not true. Mm. It's another reckless statement. Mm. Black people read. Mm. I was taught by black professors. They refer me to a whole lot of other black people mm. who read other white people, who read Chinese people, mm. and mm. Have, been, have their horizons um, broadened by Cambodian writers, mm. Argentinian writers, Spanish writers. See where I'm going with this. There is a tendency, mm. which is very unfortunate, to lump a lot of issues that need unpacking mm. into one singular problem, as if it's not. Every problem is multi dimensional, mm. as far as I'm concerned. So um, a publisher might say, I am not going to publish A, B, C, D, and whatever. Because I'm working with these strained margins and what have you. How has it changed? I think it's evolving. Mm -hmm. Uh, It still does not pay writers nearly enough for what it takes to be an author, Um, and and that is a problem. And it's a problem also at the policy level, right? we have a lot of celebratory jamborees of music and DJs and what have you, <laughs> which is which is fine. Mm. And I've got nothing against DJs, and I need to just be succinct and clear. Mm. But um, I can assure you that those uh, multiple disciplines need to be coordinated in how they are rewarded and what it takes to actually participate in that uh, in, in that space. Mm. Having said that, it's important to caution people that writing should not be done only for money motives, mm-hmm. but it is important to respect the labor uh, of, of writers and artists, like <coughs> everyone else's mm-hmm. uh, writer is, 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 is respected. If I needed an op, it's not going to be cheap. If I went to an author,
0: what do you call Orthodontist?
1: It? Orthodontist. I'm mm. wearing braces as you can see. Uh, mm. it's not cheap. <laughs> but people want freebies from, mm. from, from, from from writers. And I when I put my braces on uh, just under two years ago, mm. they told me it's gonna cost forty five rand. Forty five thousand rand. And I thought I didn't hear properly. <coughs> and, and and it turned out to be very true. And I found <laughs> my medical aid, and I had a uh, 45-minute discussion mm, on why mm. um, it was not a medical <laughs> okay. mm, But yeah. you see where I'm going. Yeah.
0: And this is a very interesting point that you have just made. And it takes me back to conversations Lisa and I had recently where she spoke about it's so great to be able to name drop and have the people in the audience <laughs> uh, I just want to put that out there, it's really great to be like, oh I was out at Zugiswa so, and, and I guess that's a, just as an aside that's a large sort of change I think that the chief Nurses is able to appreciate I I don't know if 15 years ago you know, people who looked like me um, and so Zugiswa so recounts being in it was in Leave, where they have a writer on the currency, and and just that has stuck with me forever, that mm-hmm. they have a writer on, on the currency, that they, they are so respectful and so appreciative of the art of writing, that they have, uh, they had a writer on the currency, they had places they had named, they had a university after named after, after writer, you, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing busts of writers and of people who've contributed to the literature in the Ukraine. And and for me it's it's always so it's always so sad to hear South African write great South African writers who are recognized by by people outside of, of of South Africa, you know, receiving all of this credit and acclaim and, and the realization that we don't place that same amount of, of respect for for literature in this country. And I, I'm curious as to when, when you say that you believe that uh, we need to pay more respect to to writers and we need to give more support to writers. What does that look like for you?
1: Well, there are millions and millions of rents that get allocated to departments. Mm. Right? You cannot look at an education system. In my view, Mm. I am not a policymaker. Um, I am not a president, I'm I'm an artist, Mm. but I don't think you can look at an education revival and development of an education system away from an important discipline like literature and writing, Uh, for instance. Uh, There is a lot of um, writer residencies that get offered from other localities around the Mm. world. To South African writers. People have to go freeze in some snow in <laughs> some foreign country somewhere, mm. and yet they pay taxes. Mm. Right? They pay taxes, and the moment Zuki <coughs> or Sue, mm. you know, and Yawande wins the Nobel Prize mm. one day. And that's when you'd see them in broadsheets, that, oh, these people are important. They'll be on every television show, and, and that, and that. And they'll refuse to appear on those shows. And it's sad. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this out of protest or mm-hmm. out of defiance. It's just decency and common sense mm-hmm. from where I sit. Mm-hmm. Because I don't believe that there is not money in the fiscus mm. right um i don't want to go go mm. get to get into the gupta mm. issues mm. because <laughs> just on that alone i don't know how many writers you can empower, I
0: and i i think as somebody who's not a writer i think particularly for me over and over again I see the importance of having a population that is that is literate and well read, you know. And it goes it goes beyond the idea that it's nice for people to read books, but there there is something that reading empowers you with as a person that extends into so many other aspects of your life that that completely changes how you behave almost in certain ways. So we talk about how certain books will have an impression on you. I, I remember reading things fall apart and that for me was like the first education like wait actually things haven't always been like that and and that probed that probed a deeper interest into into an understanding of of certain of other issues and i think it's always very interesting for me to hear authors continuously lament the same things and i think that it's an indictment on us just as a society that even in 2018 like, extremely talented writers in this country are still not receiving the support that they need. And it it does call for for an innovation, for an innovation and an innovative way for us to look at at publishing and at writing and at reading in this country. So I'm actually also just very curious about... um, The books you've you've mentioned a lot of like literary influences and books that you that you've read that have a deep impression on you. So I guess my question is, and I always ask our our guests this, that if you had a sixteen year old that you wanted to recommend five books to, that you wanted them to read, these five books, and you felt that these five books would set them well on the on the path in life, what five books would you? would you recommend this young 16-year-old to read and why would you recommend
1: those books? Uh, I would give them a difficult assignment. Mm -hmm. I'd say I've got five books that I want to recommend to you. Mm -hmm. But before I do that recommendation, go read all the work of every contemporary South African writer working today. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you know it back to front. Once you have done that, I know that the home base is covered. Mm. Then, <laughs> then, then, what a
2: task for a sixteen-year-old. Uh, uh, yeah.
1: Then, then, I'd say read things fall apart. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, read detained. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say read. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one. I'd say read Kefa Boy. Mm. Matabani. Mm. I'd say read. Um, the poetry of Kurapets, Mm. Prof Hosentzile, and read it over a lifetime. Mm. Not read it and put it aside, read Mm. it, revisit it for as long as you have time Mm. and a mind and eyes to be able to to, to read. Mm. Right? Um, I would say read Marachero. And I would say Mara's chair as a theme, which means you won't read House of Hunger or Mind Blast or you know, mm. Black Sunlight and the poetry or the interviews, including the self-interview. Right. Um, so from that point of view, I would say that is very, very, very uh, 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 important. Okay.
2: And by
0: that time, they won't be able to pass my because they've been so focused on doing <laughs> By it. that time, they are no longer 16. <laughs> 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 I mean, just reading all of Jambodzoma and whatever. <laughs> um, so I actually wanted to now get into... Michael Kay, which is your your latest book. Um, firstly, congratulations on the amazing launch on on Thursday. Um, social media was alive. everybody was just tweeting. it was It was amazing to see the kind of reception that you've had. Um, and I, 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 I'm actually just very curious about about that that do you five books and do you still get? Overwhelmed by, by having that kind of reception Or I mean As somebody who's always imagined themselves as a writer is Are you almost expectant of that Considering the kind of labour and the work That you put into, into your books
1: um, I'm going to take four steps back Okay To answer your question Okay I am not overwhelmed by the responses That I get for the work that I do mm. And I know that at value, that might seem like a cocky answer yes. Yes. or an arrogant answer. It's not intended to be like that. I am extremely confident in what I do yes. as a person. There is no reason that I, that surpasses all the stars that adorn the heavens. Why yes. I should not be confident in what I do? Yes. Because people have been killed yes. over centuries. Yes just for the right to exist Mm. as whole human Mm. beings Mm. and if you read 491 for instance Winnie's story there would be absolutely no reason uh, for there to not be total faith Mm. and total appreciation of the privilege it's a great privilege Mm. to be able to write and to create uh, because too many um, unacceptable prices have been paid mm-hmm. by 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 people here in this country mm-hmm. and on the wider continent, mm-hmm. and it would be, for me, mm-hmm. very futile for any young person in South Africa or on the continent to feel that there is even the slightest mm-hmm. dash mm-hmm. of. Uh, inferiority Mm. in the life paths that they set Mm. for themselves. So it is something that I am very conscious of. And um, I only try my very best to do, to write uh, the best work that I can write, but that is not sufficient. I have to also believe in the thing that Mm. I do, because then people have to... uh, Pick up from where I left off mm. when the book leaves my desk and it's, it's, it's in shops and what have you. I don't think, and this would sound a bit extreme, mm. that anyone has got a right in this country and elsewhere mm. to walk around with slumped shoulders and a bowed head for nobody. Mm. And for that I mean it, and I actually even take it personal. If uh, i someone expects me to justify what I do. I don't. I, I, I don't. And for someone who might read it as cocky, mm-hmm. my suggestion would say, please go inspect the mm-hmm. history of South Africa and how we got where we are, and the history of the world, mm-hmm. and exploitation everywhere else where there are human beings. Yeah
0: so with regards to um michael k um so the blurb says that this work was written in response to James katia's classic masterpiece life and times of michael k Ntike muthlele dabbles in the artistic and speculative in a unique attempt to unpack the dazed and disconnected world of the title character, his solitary ways, his inventiveness, but also to show how astutely Michael K. holds up a mirror to those whose paths he inadvertently crosses. Michael K. explores the weight of history and of conscience, thus wrestling the character from the confines of literary creation to the frontiers of artistic timelessness. Isaac da uh, in writing about this book, said that this is a work of reflective intensity, reimagining a memorable character from James Katsira's world of stark and sparse prose, and transplanting him into Muthlele's ornate and lyrical one. Um, so, you you were asked recently um, as to whether you you were not nervous about writing about this this book, which has such a, a massive uh, literary following. Um, and reimagining it and you were you were asked in an interview recently whether you felt um, any sort of pressure, you know, from JM Katia's fans or fans of the book in writing this book. And I, I think that you've answered that question um quite succinctly in the in the preceding answer. So what I do actually want to talk about is the is the book itself. Um Firstly, your, the writing in this book is absolutely amazing. This is such a beautifully written book. Okay. Um, Eusebius, who I feel like stole my words, but he actually didn't because he said them first, described your writing as being lyrical without, without being ethereal. And I think that is absolutely the best way to, to sort of describe the way in which you've written this book. Uh, I think that anybody who's reading the book is actually is transported to, to, to Dust Island, to Johannesburg, you're sipping the coffee, you're laughing at Professor Von Ludwig, and that is that is just a testament to to the absolute work that you that you've put in into crafting what is an, an amazing response. Um, there are a lot of themes that you explore in the book and um, I actually just wanted to expand on them. So death is is a is a theme that comes up often in 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 the book. Um, and I'm curious as to why you wanted death to to be one of sort of the focal themes of of this book. Was this a commentary on your own feelings about about death, about also illness and and the and and i guess mortality as a as a whole?
1: Mm-hmm. I read a lot of um, existential philosophy. Or philosophy in general. Mm. And I like the way it illuminates different uh, aspects of the life continuum. And um, I think it was Camus who said something about suicide as the ultimate, I don't remember the exact um, you know, phrasing of it, but it's to the effect that, you know, um, self power of mm. self in what to do with your own life must be like the ultimate, uh, how uh, do I put it, uh, expression uh, of self. Uh, Health is part of being, and I don't refer here only to bodily health, but also spiritual health. Mm -hmm. And um, those are themes that I come to, uh, because the world is premised on life, but on death too. The reason that you've got the Security Council is precisely because countries have industrialized them and that is why in geopolitics Mm. and in international relations there is so many uh, issues and discussions around nuclear proliferation. For instance, that is a death fraction. The fact that it's not operating doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. Some dumb person just needs to push a button and wipe out people is the burden of disease in countries, and whether they have the wherewithal to be able to actually protect citizens and um, whatever it's also a death of ideas you know um, and dictatorships around the world is a certain level of death as far as I am concerned but I'm saying uh, like light uh, and darkness life and death coexist um, as important things in, 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 in um, life other pe- for other people it takes different manifestations for people that are very religious mm-hmm. the death of Christ is an important marker and he has risen is another important mark so it's from that point of view that i engage with these things
0: Um, illness also also makes an appearance as a a focal theme in this book and there's there's a scene which prompted me to to wonder about your own feelings about euthanasia and and your feelings around people determining determining the course of their own illnesses have you grappled with, with that sort of as a theme in your own personal life? I'm, I'm curious as to why this came up so profoundly in this book, especially.
1: Um, it's a difficult one to answer. Um, have there been personal sentiments of ill health in my own personal life? Um... I'm going to sidestep that question Mm -hmm. uh, for reasons that are personal Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, artistic. Mm -hmm. But as an artist, I have witnessed a lot of suffering Mm -hmm. uh, brought about in part by people being unwell. Mm -hmm. Have I had near-death experiences? Yes, I have but I'll just not go into, 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 into details. And I think that, to be fair, it would be disingenuous to say portions of personal experiences do not, in some backdoor kind of way, or in small sentiment ways, um, make it into the art that one creates but what whether I want to illuminate that fully really is another story altogether
0: um, there's a passage that i yeah. <laughs> I think everyone wants you to read from this passage um, <laughs> because you might not uh, you might just not look at at oh. a certain food stuff the same
2: wow. <laughs> <laughs> having,
0: oh. having read from from this from this passage. I just need to I think you know the passage that I'm talking about. I have no idea. No, page. I'm 18 Um that I'm talking about. I just wanted to make a to make to prelude before we before we read on, on a lighter note. I think that everybody is going to be asking to, to to read from this passage because you like I'm saying you it it speaks to, to the kind of writing that you can expect to find in this book. But it, it also just speaks to the way in which you, you make looking at what might be just an mundane, you know, ordinary day of everyday thing not necessarily um, appear that way. So, I'd just like to ask that you please read uh, from page 80 for the benefits of our readers, who of course will go out and buy the book. My, uh, just
1: my, my wife is going to listen to this podcast, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: uh, this is a, a content warning for seeking's uh, wife. Uh, she can just skip over those parts. Uh
1: <laughs> okay. From where?
0: So i just like you to read from here. Just, so from this last part. Just okay. to him.
1: Okay. I will read this famous <laughs> passage that seems to be overshadowing this book <laughs>
0: <laughs> not overshadowing illuminating okay. the book
1: all right let's let's say that seems to illuminate <laughs> part of this book okay um, um she is a child man besides our relationship is strictly professional Although this, of course, was not strictly true, I so desired Maureen that I at times temporarily lost my mind, any sense of restraint, that I imagined with a sudden swell of emotions and enlightenment how desperately I craved Greek salad, cucumbers, lettuce, onion rings and baby tomatoes, only dressed with her springs. Her womanly eruptions resultant from our imagined carnal sieges. I, on occasions, at obscure restaurants, still order Greek salad for its erotic rather than dietary qualities. And, when salad dressings are presented as options, which Maureen was around to squat over the bowl, let loose her precious licks that pounce on her and show her that the devil existed, And when she moaned and fluttered, regained my composure by fisting on my salad, she would have been too kind to irrigate. What would be profounder, what could be profounder than that, when I literally and figuratively ate her, ingested her mysterious waters, and then used her panties as a napkin.
0: After reading a passage like that, how can Greek salad ever look the same to you again?
2: <laughs>
0: um, so love is also a theme that comes that comes up often in in this book. But I, I found it interesting the way that you, you portrayed the, the romantic relationships. I'm particularly interested in the relationship between Buitumelo and, and Prof Von von Ludwig, which, which is both passionate but also sometimes a little bit, a little bit distant. Um, can you just expand on, on the theme of love in, in, in relation to this, this book?
1: Mm-hmm. <coughs> I think it's, a, it's an ancient orchestration of the love theme. Mm. It's from you and Juliet in mm. another light, really. You know? And uh, from where I'm sitting, if you looked at relationships that are perfect, they are nice to admire. Mm. Mm. Uh, but literature is drama. <laughs> Story is mm. drama. Mm. And it's when the sparks fly, mm. and when things go wrong, when there's a loss of equilibrium, that art becomes interesting at least for me, mm-hmm. from how I see it. Mm-hmm. And so perfectly drawn characters and the scenarios that they live in mm-hmm. is not necessarily interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Because then it's lacking in the charge that make human beings imperf- an, in, an imperfect mm-hmm. species, mm-hmm. Uh, as it were. And because human beings have got different yearnings, even if they're united by like-minded uh, pursuits, mm-hmm. like romantic engagements, mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, with regards to the character developments in the book, so Michael M is he's the title character, um, but he, in effect, makes a cameo cameo appearance in the in the book. I mean, so in the first part of the book, I, without giving away too much, because we want everyone who's just heard of page eighty it it's gone by the rest of the book. Um, uh, he he makes an appearance in the in the beginning of the book, but then the book goes on to to be narrated by Miles M and there were a lot of jazz sort of references in the book and, I was, and, and while reading the book I was actually wondering if the title character was you paying homage to, to Miles Davies or is it just an interesting literary coincidence that the title character is named mm. Miles M?
1: Uh. Miles M is my son. Mm-hmm. I named him after Miles Davis mm-hmm. because I love the music of Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. And so progressive are my parents that they universally said, Go ahead. Mm-hmm. He's your child. <laughs> which which was, was lit. I, I like that. And I love that about mm-hmm. about them. And so yeah, I think that's a personal.
2: Plant. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Professor Von Ludwig is a, is a very interesting character. He's this professor of, of philosophy who holds some very interesting views about a variety of topics. And poetry is one of the, the topics that he often goes into in-depth um, you know, characterization on. Um, and poetry often makes an appearance in this book over and over again, mm-hmm. which, which just had me wondering if there is a, there's an anthology somewhere inside of you.
1: I write poetry mm-hmm. informally. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of poetry, mm-hmm. but poetry is music. I love music and I listen to a lot of music as well. So, I think it's it's um, it embellishes mm-hmm. sensory worlds, as it were. Uh, would I write? A, 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 would I have a poetry anthology one day? Um, too soon to tell. Mm-hmm. We'll see.
0: Okay, I can say that, stay tuned. Um, So philosophy, you've spoken about the fact that you read a lot of existential philosophy. Was making Professor von Ludwig a professor of of philosophy a nod to to that that area of your life? I I think he could have been a professor of anything. I just found it particularly interesting in this context, having read the book, that he was a professor of, of philosophy... Uh, And often, sorry, just as an aside And often says the most poetic things in the book Mm. As opposed to Miles M Who is sitting with this inner Mm. poet That we have yet to see Mm. Professor von Ludwig often says Very poetic things Despite the fact that he's a a Professor of philosophy Yeah,
1: okay I think that um, Literature and philosophy Mm -hmm. Are siblings Mm -hmm. From where I'm sitting Mm. Um Gustav van Ludwig, the character in, in Michael Kay, mm. has very much grown around real life mm. poets, mm. so he understands sensibilities yeah, um, that define yeah. the life of poets, and yet his passion is actually philosophy. Mm. Philosophy, I think, is a narrative device as well to be mm. able to unpack ideas mm. um, that um, would have been heavy mm. was it not actually orchestrated in such a way that mm. you had done a philosopher presenting that, those ideas. If you want effective, quiet, um, discreet fighting of a war, army generals deploy snipers. So, Van Ludwig is my sniper mm. uh, in the book. Because there's no machine gun fire per se, mm. but I think that it's effective
2: yes.
0: um, so so miles M who is the who's narrating the story, uh, settles in in Johannesburg and so location in this book is is very interesting. We move from being in dust Island to, to being in Johannesburg and even when we're in Johannesburg, there are very different locations that are, that are described. Um and I, I'm curious, I mean, so he could have moved anyway to become to find his inner poets, you know? And I mean, why why did you particularly choose him to come to Joburg? I think that we often when we think of Joburg, you think of this place where people come to to make their dreams come true. Joburg is for the hustle, it's where it's where you make things happen. Miles M moves to Joburg to find his inner poets. Mm. Um, and that's, that's just a very, very interesting sort of choice of location for me.
1: Um, yes, because there's a lot of energy to the city. Mm. And there is a historic significance to the city as well. And I think that things happen in Johannesburg because it is what it is. So I don't think there's any complicated mm, metaphoric yeah. interpretations of signifier yeah. and signifieds so and this and that. Yeah. Joburg is just cool.
0: That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Miles yeah. then uh, comes to to Joburg because he wants to pursue this passion, but without giving away too much of, of the plot, um, the the passion sort of doesn't come come to pass, you know. But what is, what is interesting is, is the fact that Miles M. is also a government's employee. And in a, in a prior interview that you had, you said that one of the themes that you wanted to explore was corruption and, and civil servants and, and that sort of interplay. And I'm curious as to whether this was, this was you making a commentary on, I mean, he, he goes on to describe them as, as, as almost two, as two-legged animals. He says that they're two-legged animals, and some of them have fur. I mean, and, and that imagery is... And tails. And tails. That imagery is powerful, you know. Fur and tails in describing is a certain sector of, of governance. Um, uh,
1: well, well, thank you. I... <coughs> it must be said. Mm they are very rotten sections of our society mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. and I don't think that any mm-hmm. artist with their soul that is going to tiptoe around that <laughs> um, mm-hmm. is, is, is I don't know mm-hmm. uh, how I would relate to such an artist mm-hmm. there are rotten things mm-hmm. in our country right? very rotten things mm-hmm. and um, having said that mm-hmm. There are rotten things everywhere Mm. in the world, Mm. right? Um, But I thought that as a South African, Mm. an African, a country south of the African continent, Mm. I'll witness these things and write about them. And actually, Nick Nklooma does it extremely well Mm. in way back home, Mm. in a much more exhaustive Mm. way because he goes through every Mm. labyrinth that is there Mm. in terms of just the state of affairs Mm. of post independence governance Mm. in Mm. South Africa Mm. but not only that he actually even takes that through uh, from exile and how Mm. you have sub communities Mm. within Mm. a society Mm. and the nature evolution and mutation of Mm. privilege Mm. So I would strongly recommend Way Back Home for this thing, Mm. which he does it much better than, Mm. uh, and in a much more comprehensive way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You see what I meant about Mm. contemporaries? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Mm. Um, So Miles M. has a a lot of curiosity about, about Michael K. And this is a curiosity that that sort of extends throughout the book. I mean, people are curious about his the simplicity of his life and how he lives the way that he that he has, you know. And it continues with the theme. And um, for me, I think people have often been accused of having a a curiosity about the li- the lived experiences of other people, particularly black people, in a way that almost reduces their their lived experiences. Mm. Um, how would you sort of respond to that—that—that that, that curiosity of of the characters about Michael K, where he comes from, who he is, why is he this person that lives this solitary lifestyle? What is there an entitlement that the community has to to Michael K's story, his life? I mean, he often gets asked, "What does the K in your name stand for?" Um, and and for me, that was just interesting over and over again that there were people who were so invested in in knowing about other people's lived experiences that you, you'd you even want to write a... they'd want to write a book about it and you know, in the story as it continues. And there's all of this interest around that particular character.
1: I think Michael Kay is representative of the unsaid
2: mm.
1: and the misunderstood. Mm. He functions primarily as a very metaphorical character mm. from where I am sitting. Mm. But it also speaks to a very silent... Thing, Mm. which is the interdependence between generations Mm. of thinkers and writers. Mm. Um, Just as an aside, I've been told, I don't know how many times, that, my God, you've got balls. (laughs) So I have to keep checking (laughs) if uh, if, if they're still there or if Uh, they've uh, changed mm. from how I know them to be. Um, And I don't see what the balls mm. are about mm. and here just to perhaps clarify for listeners it's, it's guts really mm. it's metaphorically that you've got guts that mm. you would approach this very you know, mm. uh, esteemed, famous accomplished uh, work of art but like I've said earlier mm. in the interview I think that societies are entitled mm. to interacting with the, the artistic output of uh, they are scribes mm. in their totality. Mm, mm. What they, what connections they make, mm. uh, should not really be of concern mm. for writers. Yeah. Writing is too much work as it is. Mm. Now to belabor complex explanations mm. and what have you, I think that is that that is not ideal. Mm. At least speaking for myself, mm. yeah.
0: Uh, speaking of the, the guts that you've been asked, if you have, I think that it's come up in numerous interviews that, you know, um, people have been asking about the, you're right, about the must mistake or the confidence that they think it must take to take on a literary subject like The Life and Times of Michael Kay. But you, you mentioned that you'd read the book numerous times over 15 years, 30 times over a 15 year period. Um, and I'm curious as to why you kept going back to the life and times of Michael K. You you have read quite widely and extensively and have mentioned numerous books that that have an, an impact on, on you as a writer and a reader. But why was it so profound to go back over and over again to the life and times of Michael K.? And I guess leading into that, you've mentioned that you have an interest in... The reimagining of certain narratives. So you mentioned how you, uh, in an earlier interview, how you were you were fascinated by the works of somebody like Tando Lozana in writing unimportance, for example. You know, so it could have been any any book. So the question is twofold. It's uh, related to the life and times of Michael Kay but also why this particular sort of genre interests you.
1: Um, I shouldn't say too much, but I am not finished. Mm. In terms of my interests, mm. uh, I would not necessarily write an inc- uh, a sequel to another book mm-hmm. and, 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 and what have you. But I think that it is important to know what you are doing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's any profound answer to that. If you're going to be at, uh, dealing with a an important task. Mm-hmm. I think a surgeon, for instance, if a patient needs to go for surgery, mm-hmm. there is a pre-assessment mm-hmm. of whether the patient is fit mm-hmm. to undergo surgery mm-hmm. and the, the uh, counterweighing of risk, right? And it's a very specialized thing to do. And that is why some surgeries take 12 hours mm-hmm. to do. I don't think it's any different from someone who is writing a book. Mm-hmm. It's just that it happens that it's words and ideas. And I think that long period of gestation of reading and whatever is not only particular to Michael Kay, it's with literature that I enjoy, mm. you know, that I keep going back to mm. and, and reading. Mm. Because it would be extremely embarrassing if uh, I didn't need to talk about my own work. Mm. Someone said, but comment on Zuki's work. <laughs> or your one day's work. Mm. Uh, We've Mm. got five minutes, the person who was (laughs) supposed to be here is not (laughs) Mm. here. What uh, 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 are your views on on ABCD? Mm. It would not be fair to have read it of nuance. Mm. It's it's proper to read it and internalize it and understand it. Because I might, uh, whether planned or unplanned, Mm. need to be an advocate Mm. for Mm. that particular book as okay. my peers and colleagues
0: do the same thing so i like to ask authors how because we i mean the blurb is somebody else's description of your book i like to ask authors often how they would describe their book to a stranger so you meet somebody on the cow chain and you get talking and they say oh what do you do uh, which is a, a favorite question in this wonderful city of ours. Okay. Um, And and you respond, I'm a writer, and they say, oh, what 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 is your your (laughs) (laughs) lesson? Oh, what is your real job? What what do you do on the side? You know, I mean. So I I didn't ask you about your hobbies. I mean, what's your real job? Uh, But on a serious note, how would you how would you describe this book to a stranger? So how would you describe Michael Kay to a stranger?
1: As a lightning bolt.
0: As a lightning bolt. Nice. <laughs> it's probably the best description Excited. I've heard of a of a, of a of a I've heard an author <laughs> describing like a lightning bolt with a side serving of Greek salad. You have to read the book to, to get the, the reference. Um, I love that description that you describe your book as as a lightning bolt. And I, I actually want to just say a very very big thank you to to Tigan for coming out. Uh, on a Saturday morning, and um, being a part of the Cheeky Natives, I think a massive part of what the Cheeky Natives does is is the archiving of of literature by people who look like us for us, and and the reimagining of what what the literature is, right? What the narrative is, and it's and every time that we have this podcast, it just it just reinforces that that we're doing the things, we're making the parts, we we're, we're bringing it together. And it's just so powerful to have you, to have you have taken on what would have, I think would have a lot of authors would have shied away from you know, reimagining or putting your own writing your own book, which does stand on its own two legs as its, as its own book, um, of what was a, a Booker Prize winning work you know, and and having read Michael Kay, I, I just want to implore everybody to go out and not only read Michael Kay, but also to read Pleasure, to read Rusty Bell, Small Things, to read The Sense of Bliss for the appreciation of what is an amazingly talented, talented writer. I think that the fact that your contemporaries are in the audience and nodding, um, just a few seconds away from snapping as as you as speak, is testament to to the ways in which you are incredibly talented and how seriously you take your art. So I just wanna say a very, very big thank you to you it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the podcast. I uh, want to encourage everybody to go out and not only by Michael Kay, but also by all of his other works as mentioned. Um, like we said earlier, Pleasure was long listed for the International Dublin Literary Award. I mean, it's won numerous awards as well. So we just want to encourage everybody to go out and read the works of T. um Muhlele. And also do the homework that was prescribed. She dropped a lot of amazing names and a lot of amazing literary recommendations enough to keep a 16-year-old busy until the end of high school. Um, And so we just want to thank you once again. We look forward to seeing more of your work and seeing more of you. And uh, we just can't wait to see what the future has in store for you.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I like the name Chicky Natives. I think it's very innovative. but thanks for inviting me. It's been a great pleasure and I have learned a great deal from engaging with you. Thank you. And I'm very privileged that my peers... So <laughs> we're <laughs> getting this. We're
0: getting this. So the Cheeky Natives, um, as reminded by our wonderful guest, who got her own piece of land. That's why she's reminding us about this. We have a very interesting rating system. We don't give our authors popcorn and stars. What must you do with popcorn and stars, you know? What we do as the as the land committee at the Cheeky Natives, which is chaired by myself and Nithokonola, who is currently in the U.S. pursuing his master's? We we give land, we give land to to our, to our to our guests based on how much we've enjoyed their books, you know, and and based on things that we've read in the story and and and. So based on how how much we've just enjoyed reading Michael Kay and and your previous works and the amazing work that you've done, um, as chairperson of the land committee at the Cheeky Natives, um, I would just like to give you the, the, a piece of land uh, in Malrose Arch. And, <laughs> and when you read the book, Malrose Arch features in, in, in the book, you know, so I just think it's only fitting that with you having paid homage to Mauro's Arch mm-hmm. that as Chairperson of the Land Committee we, we give you a piece of land in Maro's Arch for you to go on to pursue your literary interests. Uh, we, we can see it happening, you know, in oh, Maro's Arch. That
1: is wonderful. Coincidentally, I was at Mauro's Arch yesterday going to buy food for my baby, for my daughter. (laughs) So now the landlord cometh (laughs) Uh, to to Melrose Ark. And um, Julius, yeah, we might need to talk. (laughs) <laughs> you, I
0: mean, you won't even have to, uh, to, to speak to, to Julius, we, we've spoken about this, it's, it's th- organised, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. it's sorted. The cheeky natives have said it. The cheeky so. have declared it. No, so it is so.
1: no, I wanted to tell him the, rule, <laughs> the rules from the landlord going forward. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. um, so we, we cannot wait um, as the land committee to apportion this, this piece of land, so you're more than welcome to rename it. We would love it if you did. It's okay if you choose not to. But from here on, uh, Mara's Arch is now officially owned by NCK Holdings. So
1: title deed, people.
0: <laughs> 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 right. yeah. Thank you. Thank you.